Welcome to Morning Meetings with Maureen, a powered by Pisonic Production. Maureen Pisonic sits down next to her favorite industry experts to help share insights and guidance to help you plan your purpose. Pisonic Partners is a leader in the support of child nutrition programs. Find out more about our team and vision at PisonicPartners.com. And now, here's Maureen. Thank you for joining us for episode number seven, featuring our chef, Tim McCoy, education director at the International Culinary Arts and Science Institute in Chesterland, Ohio. We've been hearing a lot, and number seven is even better, uh, full of smart, flavorful options as we explore smarter lunchroom, chef Tim McCoy style. We hope you enjoy it as much as we did. So our, you know, we say it's not nutrition unless they swallow it, you know, so mm-hmm. there are Smarter Luncheon Theory gives us the opportunity, even just as simple as requiring a child to take a half cup fruit or vegetable, instead of telling them what the vegetable of the day is, providing them four, five, sometimes even upwards of six hot and cold variations of vegetables, we have seen consumption of food go Mm -hmm. up um, in students. And I feel like... I heard you talking about that with my colleagues, Stephanie. I was about to butt in, but I was with the (laughs) students and you had a nice conversation going. Well, my kids were little, you know, like all kids that go on these food jags. So we were quite worried at one time about one of our children. So we called our pediatrician and he was so relaxed about it. His advice was just put a lot of stuff on the table, a lot of different choices and let the kids see you eating different kinds of stuff. And now just naturally come to the right balance of what they eat. Sure enough, it worked. I mean, they'd go in their food jags and then they get tired of it. And uh, nowadays, both my kids eat very healthy diets and kind of naturally regulating too. Mm-hmm. I love that. So it's uh, our opportunity and also our responsibility, again, making this cafeteria an extension of the classroom. We have an opportunity. Kids come into our cafeteria lines and um, visually, our goal is to always enhance what their, um, not only their taste expectation is, but visually what the bars look like and the aroma and the smells. Mm-hmm. and. You know, so when it's an Italian day, I, I it better smell like garlic and basil and things that you would expect an Italian pasta bar to smell like. Um, similarly, we've infused lots of um, cilantro and even lime in some um, aspects into our Tex-Mex rice flare, um, mm-hmm. just to add that element. You know, schools struggle with the idea that, you know, but to meet the requirements that it has to be. Um, you know, whole grain, low fat, low sodium equals low taste, right? Mm-hmm. So talk a little bit about, um, you know, your thought about alternative ways to flavor foods and spices. So I like the idea already said about putting the lime juice mm-hmm. into your Mexican ingredients. Uh, I think we all in our society and chefs as well, go to the salt as the first thing to enhance flavor, but I do experiments with my students where we'll be making a sauce and I'll say, hey, before you go to the salt, taste this, now put a little bit of acid in it and taste it again. The acid will actually wake up the flavors that are in something, sometimes faster than the salt. Uh, You can talk to any chef with a good bit of experience and they'll tell you, sometimes with dishes, you keep putting salt in, salt in, salt in, it gets salty, but it doesn't get any more flavorful. So the salt is not the end all and be all to flavor. Uh, a lot of chefs say fat is flavor. That's actually kind of true. <laughs> but there are ways to make flavors without the fat. And uh, one of my favorite ways to do that is with fresh herbs. Mm-hmm. I feel like we don't use fresh herbs nearly enough. Uh, in my house at any given time, we've probably got six or seven different kinds of fresh herbs. I mean, like every household we have parsley, but 
know, we'll have parsley, we'll have tarragon, we'll have rosemary, we'll have thyme. I mean, we have a whole section of our produce draw full of the herbs because they can impart a big blast of flavor without really any harmful side effects at all. Absolutely, absolutely. And be creative and also true to some of this global on trend. So mm -hmm. like, you know, circling back to this whole philosophy of the pillars of speed scratch cooking or scratch cooking and a little bit more um, building flavor as opposed mm -hmm. to just heating and serving flavors, um, but also being true to those types of cuisines that, um, you know, our newest endeavor is uh, going down the, the road of using curry and some mm -hmm. of the more um, Indian flair, um, you know, types of Oh, it's kind of interesting. I, I just decided I want to write a book on the curry diaspora. <laughs> I read I, I read something online. That's probably about a month ago now about some archaeologists who were working in northern Pakistan, and they unearthed some cooking vessels that had some food residue in it from about five thousand years ago. Analysis of that residue showed that it was a spice blend very much like the one that is used in that area even today. But we have these. Amalgamation, amalgamations of flavor that have developed in different societies that I think are carried forward. I think what we eat is probably not prone to as rapid change as we think. Uh, food is very tradition bound, uh, maybe because of the way we learn it. People learn from their mom, we learn from their grandmother. Also, I think when we discover something that tastes good, we want to perpetuate it into the future. So. We keep making things. It's kind of it's kind of amazing to see how long ago some of our favorite flavor combinations were in fact developed. That curry thing is an interesting phenomenon because it started in India and it spread, and then as it spread, it was changed by the kind of things I was talking to my students about today. It changes when it finds itself in a new geography or a new climate or encounters different cultural traditions. So it's subtly changed. We see. The idea of curry as it started in India changing into something different when it gets to Thailand or something altogether different when Europeans transport it to Europe and recreate uh, you know Anglo-Indian curry houses in London so it's so very fascinating. You're well on your way to writing your curry novel it sounds. So I hope so. I'm excited. I actually found, I'm out, excited actually found out somebody did something like that a while ago so I have to look and see how close it is to my idea. I may, I may just have found a good read if nothing else. Well so. I think you could definitely impart some wisdom on that topic. Thank you for listening and look out for more inspiration from our team to yours. Find us on Facebook and Instagram and follow the movement. This is School Lunch 2.0.